This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. President Obama garnered a little bit of publicity for an idea that the FCC is trying to push forward. They would like to see an open market for the cable box you use to watch TV. Instead of it being controlled by the cable company, the president and the FCC would like to have them available to be sold by outside companies. And while having the president talk about it brought some news coverage, it is an interesting business idea. Would this work in general? Wharton Marketing Professor Peter Fader joins me in the studio to talk about this. On the phone with us as well is Mark Tare, who's president of Media Tech Insights. He's also the book of televisionaries and a Wharton grad and a friend of the show. Mark, great to have you back on the show. Good morning. Good to be back. Great to have you, Peter. As always, great to see you. And it's great to see you, Dan. Thank you very much. Uh, Mark, the idea of an open market for the set-top box... I, I hate to kind of snicker when I say it because Peter and I were just talking about this. You know, there are bigger fish to fry in terms of the president and his his interest in this. But in terms of the idea itself, where do you stand on it? Well, I certainly have my personal opinions. Uh, I think it is a bold initiative uh, in terms of Obama weighing in. It is in line with his general vision of an open Internet pro-consumer, and also limiting the power of major corporations. But I think there's much more uh, here than meets the eye, and uh, there's a huge question of whether, even if this is successful, will it really benefit the consumer, given everything that's happening uh, in the market on its own? Peter? And there's also the the Google conspiracy theory, <laughs> as, as yeah. uh, some pundits have been saying, that uh, maybe Obama isn't just doing this for the good of the public, yeah. uh, but because of some friends in the tech sector. How big a, a, of a business, potentially, Mark, could this be if if we do kind of have this open market? I mean, obviously, with the amount of content, as you guys just mentioned with Google, but also Apple TV, which, you know, they have an investment in, in the TV industry now, uh, Netflix, uh, you know, there's so many different pieces to this. I mean, it, it does seem like that that the push is to try, in some respects, rein in the cable industry to some to some degree. Very much, and the net neutrality debate was along similar lines. How big of a business it could be? Well, today uh, the set-top box business is several billion dollars per year just in the U.S., and then perhaps double that globally, maybe maybe up to $10 billion a year. And then there's all these new set-tops that primarily bring Internet content into the home, and those are made by Roku, by Apple TV, by Google with its Chromecast HDMI device. And these worlds are living side by side today. So part of what this initiative is trying to do, although I mentioned it's, it's happening regardless in the market, is to bring these two worlds together, the, the other world being the, uh, the walled garden TV businesses 
created and owned by not just the cable companies, but also the satellite TV companies and the telco TV companies, who all three together in the U.S. have roughly 100 million TV households paying monthly subscriptions. Yeah, whenever we hear those words, and I think you use the right ones, Mark, walled garden, we know it's trouble. <laughs> we, we know that it's an entrenched player trying to protect its own interests uh, and, and unfortunately uh, really hurting, hampering its own ability to innovate, uh, saying we, we got this, this tried-and-true device and business model. Let's not mess with it, even though there's, there's lots of interesting technologies uh, kind of knocking on the, on the garden gate. Uh, and I think opening that gate might be a short-run hit for the in- entrenched providers, but could be really good for them in the long run once they learn how to coexist with them. But is it surprised you that, that they would take that position? I mean, realistically not. I mean, if they have, you know, an entity that's bringing them in, you know, uh, so much money for basically nothing, you know, o- over the course of the year, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, I guess. Yeah, really, the only surprise here, the only reason we're talking about this is because it was President Obama talking about it. If the FCC uh, put out a, the, the same exact declaration, we yeah. wouldn't be talking about it now. People would be saying, yeah, it's about time. Let's 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 move on. Uh, but when the president chimes in, it adds just a bit of, of seriousness to it that you wouldn't see otherwise. Well, and I guess the interesting uh, perspective from that point is, uh, fact, Peter, is the fact that, you know, this content, and the companies have been building up over the entire time that he has been in office. And it's really now just the fact that it's happening in his last few months in office that really is, you know, we're seeing that that push by him to want to kind of change things as he's heading out the door. Indeed. And and so it goes back to the issue. Does he want this to be a, a, a signature uh, activity in, yeah. in, his, in his last year? Or, uh, or should he be focused on something that where it's much clearer that it would be good for the good of the public and so on. Because, indeed, this, this could be something that makes a lot of noise, but in the end the, the, the cable companies are doing just as well, or maybe even better, in which case it's not clear that the welfare is improved on the basis of it. Mark? Yes, well, I think he views it more broadly. I don't think he views this initiative in isolation as I alluded to before, I think he view, he views it, and, and yes, he would like part of his legacy to say he was the guy that really helped make the open Internet and opened up um, the cable satellite telco TV monopoly, even though it isn't really a monopoly. It's actually a quite competitive market where just about every U.S. household can pick from roughly three, three plus or minus, Video service providers. Uh, you know, you, you would think he has more important things to do. I don't. I don't think he's especially focused on it, and I doubt if he researched it that deeply. I think probably the same people that sort of got to him on the net neutrality debate got to him on this. And although you know, new, it's interesting. You know, Netflix was very much front and center on the uh, net neutrality debate only to find out very recently that they were actually hypocritically violating it by throttling video to uh, some of their own subscribers with AT&T and Verizon wireless services. But this time, I do believe it's more than a conspiracy. I, I think you have Google and Amazon and people who would, companies who are very powerful, I would argue even more powerful in the longer scheme of things than the Comcast or AT&T's of the world, 
uh, which would benefit tremendously from breaking open this market. So, so Mark and, raises a, a great point, which is, where's the power here? Uh, and, and indeed, uh, the, the Amazons and the Googles are they're the formidable firms to go yeah. against, not to mention the, the litany of others that both of you have mentioned. Uh, 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 the, the interesting uh, aspect of it is, uh, uh, it's not just so much who has the power, but the but the the dynamics that are taking place here. Uh, uh, is it the case that uh, that the set-top box will be removed because of of some uh, of regulatory authority, yeah. uh, or would the the, the Comcast and and, and other uh, MSOs uh, choose to open it up themselves, uh, seeing that they just kind of have to do that to be competitive? So it's 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 just kind of changing the dynamics a bit, but I'm not sure the ultimate outcome changes. Mark, and you're seeing um, some of the major players move in this direction anyway. Just, just a few examples are uh, Comcast with its highly touted X1 box, uh, which is considered one of the most advanced set-top box out there, and uh, their traditional suppliers like. Uh, well, Cisco sold its business to Technicolor, but now Eris, who bought the, the biggest set-top business from Motorola, the old General Instrument, who invented digital TV in the first place. Um, so those those boxes, those X1 boxes, um, which consumers really are like, are rolling out to the tune of 50000 a day right now, rolling out nationally. And then Charter, who may very well end up soon with Time Warner Cable, and uh, and uh, Bright House, thereby becoming the number three cable operator in the U.S. and and the number four video service provider, has a Spectrum TV guide, as they call it, using a very innovative company called Active Video's advanced cloud-based platform, and that brings in the internet. And then and just recently, Cablevision announced that they're going to bring in Hulu, an Internet-only service, on their pre-existing set-tops, also using active video technology. So there's an incredible amount of innovation happening. And similarly with companies like TiVo, who are trying to bridge these two worlds of the Internet and the traditional TV world. So, Mark, how much of all these changes do you think are occurring because the... The, the, the current cable players are, are just being innovative and saying, hey, here are great opportunities for us. And how much do you think is a reaction to a lot of the cord cutting that's going on, that they need to come up with a more compelling proposition than they had to in the past? I think it's, it's a combination. Uh, cord cutting is occurring, but I think it's a little exaggerated in terms of the extent of it. Um, but they're certainly worried about it. And so over the years, the cable operators and DirecTV and Verizon have become much, much more proactive with respect to the technology they deploy with their, uh, you know, tech company suppliers who typically that list does not include Google, Apple, Amazon. So those giants, those Silicon Valley giants, if you will, although Amazon, Seattle are, uh, sort of locked out, and they've always been trying to get in. One of the ironies here is that Google actually owned Motorola, um, including Gold General Instrument, which is by far the number one set-top box company in the world. And 
so they, they, they could have done this, but they didn't quite know what to do with the hardware. Advertising is really more their sweet spot. And so they ended up selling the business to Aris, who now owns it. Uh, so, you know, back to your question, I think um, they realize how fast the tech sector is moving and that if they don't move quickly and, in fact, uh, invent things, not just react, that cord cutting will likely accelerate. We're talking with uh, Mark Tayer, who's the president of MediaTek Insights, also the book of televisionaries. Also joining me here in the studio, uh, Wharton Marketing Professor Peter Fader. We're talking about the president uh, being involved in, in this uh, discussion about the open market for cable TV set-top boxes, but also a little bit of the media industry in general. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I, I found it interesting. I saw in one article talking about how the FCC was talking about, as you were alluding to, the, you know, the level of innovation that's out there. I, I look everywhere and I, I see now and I see innovation. So how can how can an entity stand there and say that there isn't innovation in this industry right now? Well, they're just wrong, and and they're they're using <laughs> that's straight to the point, Mark. <laughs> yeah, so there there is a problem, but there's a much simpler way to solve it, which is that the uh, the existing service providers um, typically lease set-top boxes to the consumer, and they can charge, you know, $10 and even more per month per box. And that's fine for the first year or two because these, these boxes, especially if they have, have hard drives for a DVR, are very expensive to buy retail. So a lot of consumers probably wouldn't want to buy at retail for, for a DVR-type box. Um, but after you've had that box for a few years, the, the, uh, the service provider's can continue to collect. So there would be a simple solution of, you know, why don't you just um, uh, cap the, uh, the rental payment with some lifetime amount, um, you know, but there, and so some of these are old boxes that are, you know, sitting next to people's TVs that are, you know, years old and in technology <laughs> life, that's ancient. Um, but the innovation is occurring every day, both within the uh, existing TV sector and within the internet video sector, um, you know, it, it, it frames the issue well when they make it sound like um, consumers are getting ripped off and there's no innovation and they're using these uh, cranky old boxes. So, so, Mark, let's go beyond the, the innovation of the hardware itself, because you're, you're right. There's a, a lot going on. It's a lot of things that would have been just unimaginable 10 years ago. What about innovation in the business models involving the boxes? Like you mentioned, one small step, maybe capping payments on the boxes. But we're, we're seeing from the outside uh, lots of innovative business models emerging. What about from the inside? Yeah, there's a lot of that, too. But in terms of the mainstream business, it's very slow to change because the, the major programmers like Disney, like Time Warner, uh, negotiate with their distributors, who are Comcast and AT&T, etc., and they bundle together a lot of channels. And then, in turn, the service provider provides these super bundles to the consumer. And so you hear a lot of consumers complain about hey, I, I only like um, these 10 channels. Why do I have to pay for these 
300 channels. And I think that is part of what's behind this initiative, although it's certainly buried pretty deeply, uh, is this this idea of the fat bundle um, and the notion of a la carte. And so what in terms of business models, you see HBO, you see Showtime, you see Stars, and many others now offering a la carte content, either different channels or the same channel as they offer traditionally over the Internet. Um, you've also seen Verizon, for example, and others uh, offer skinny bundles yeah. to the consumer, again, in anticipation of cord cutting, Peter's, Peter's question a while back. And so it's not just cord cutting. Um, there's also cord nevers, who are the millennials, you know, people who are 20 in their 20s or whatever today, just starting to form households. And they've never um, signed up for a subscription. They grew up, they're, they're digital natives. And then you have cord shaving, which is people who want to get it just down to the basics. But, you know, the problem you have is a la carte becomes very expensive once you add it all up. And so bundling really has its advantages in terms of giving you a lot of content for a reasonable price. Um, in the end, I think uh, consumers do want more flexibility in bundles, but I'm skeptical that they really want it to go completely to an all-a-carte model because that gets really expensive. And the cable companies uh, probably don't want to uh, to see more people. I mean, certainly they're going to bring in money, but they would probably rather, I would think, have that from an operational standpoint. It's probably a lot easier to run with you know the couple of bundles than they have than having you know several million people doing different a la carte programs. Yeah, that's a, that's a complicating factor um, in terms of billing and service provision. And it's interesting that if we can just step beyond the TV, uh, how uh, so many of these firms that we mentioned, uh, besides playing in in the TV space, are starting to branch out. And so, obviously, you go from from TV to, to internet to phone to home security and Internet of Things. So I think that the battleground is is widening. Uh, and rather than having you know, specific boxes for specific uh, items within the household, I think that the win is going to be the hub that the household has. Kind of like what I guess Sony was trying to do uh, a year or two ago when they were you know, putting together kind of an all-inclusive uh, set-top box where they would people would be able to not only watch their TV, but they would be able to play their video games on, on that set as well and, and even and even add in further things. And I think if, like Samsung is doing a tremendous yeah. work in this regard to really tie in all kinds of functions that you would have just never imagined with, with TV or home entertainment. Mark? Very true. And at the center of all that is the broadband Internet because all of these services are moving toward the Internet if they're not there already. And, you know, that was certainly the central concern behind the net neutrality debate. It's, it's a little more obscure in this one because this is about the traditional TV pipes of, and traditional set-top boxes. But, you know, because TV is also more slowly moving toward the Internet, um, you, know, you know, Netflix and Amazon and so on are still maybe only about 10% of the business, but growing. Uh, there, there is a concern of who's controlling those broadband pipes, and there is less competition in those broadband pipes than there is with the uh, multi-channel pay TV business. 
consumers typically in the U.S. have one or two choices for high-speed Internet. Um, now, that's getting better over time, but, uh, you know, we don't have a national industrial policy, and, and there's no way that would get through Congress, you know, to get high-speed broadband to everyone like many smaller countries have. Um, so so that, that's a pretty significant issue. Um, if, it, if it weren't for that, you know, it would be moving a lot faster to the Internet, and companies like Google may not be uh, pressuring the FCC and President Obama so much because they would, uh, you know, they would have a bigger business that's growing organically over the Internet. So then what do you see, Mark, as, as being the changes for companies like Comcast and like Verizon with their Fios service? What do you see as the changes they need to think about going forward in the next several years to be competitive with the Googles and the Apples of the world? Well, I think Comcast is doing all the right things in that they uh, not only have, they're not only rolling out very high speed internet um, in all their markets, they're rolling out this very advanced X1 set top box nationally. They're a major content provider through NBC Universal, and they even consider themselves a, a technology company as much as they consider themselves a service provider. They employ many, many engineers, and they also have their suppliers who are among the top tech, tech companies out there. Verizon has a much more interesting, or I should say uh, uncertain, path because they don't have a national video product. Their, their, their Verizon Fios, Fiber to the Home, is, is very good for markets that have it, yep. and it's rate, they're rated as you know, one of the top service providers in terms of customer service but they don't have a national platform. And like what AT&T did for that, because they, they were similarly um, uh, more regional, was they went out and acquired DirecTV yep. and instantly became number one in the U.S. in terms of a national video footprint, even leapfrogging Comcast. So Comcast was actually now number two. Um, but Verizon is way behind. Um, you would think they might look at buying uh, Dish Network but I don't think they want to be in the satellite business. They, they think that's backwards. I think to some extent they're wrong on that. Um, but then, you know, Verizon has this incredible wireless footprint, um, which started out for voice, but now is being used, you know, through LTE for high-speed data, but there are data caps. And then, you know, starting next decade, you're going to have 5G wireless. And I think that opens up all sorts of new possibilities because you're finally going to have wireless that's um, more competitive with the high-speed uh, wired broadband technologies. Yeah, Mark, it's great that you mentioned Dish Network, and it's it's interesting and maybe surprising that, that it hadn't come up earlier in the conversation. That's a company to keep an eye on because uh, whether – say Verizon or some other firm wants to get into the satellite business or not, it's important to keep in mind that that half of the value of DISH is in a wireless spectrum, which they don't use for the satellites, but could be just a great asset for a, a company like Verizon. So, so I, I predict we're going to hear a lot more about them uh, as this whole ecosystem expands and as we see much more between home entertainment and telephony and, again, other Internet of Things going on. I think this game is going to be won and lost, 
not on the basis of who provides the best or most comprehensive entertainment services, but on the 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 really really fat bundle <laughs> beyond oh, yeah. the kinds of things that uh, cable companies are talking about now. Yeah, another thing I I think um, we should at least mention is that maybe third time's a charm here in terms of this FCC activity. Um, And the reason I say maybe third time's a charm is there have been two quite similar previous activities um, by the FCC that have really failed. In fact, the first one, cable card, I would call an outright disaster. It... um, it, it forced the cable boxes in a certain way uh-huh. and it, that wasted enormous precious R&D re- resources from a lot of the companies involved, diverting them from other projects. And the worst thing of it was it actually raised the cost to the consumer when the whole idea was if you open the set-top box market and make them available at the retail store level, it should reduce the price to the consumer. But the opposite happened. So... There's a real concern, perhaps, here of the law of unintended consequences. Now, in this case, I think what's more likely is it plays right into Google's hand and look out because that opens up some really serious privacy issues that we don't have with the cable companies because they're much more highly regulated by the FCC in terms of things like privacy, whereas Google is much less regulated (laughs) by the Federal Trade Commission. So look out what you're doing here. But could that but could that even change going forward? I think it could, but sometimes it sometimes uh, the Trojan horse happens and it becomes a little too late, and then they're you know bending over backwards to try to fix the problem. Yeah, I think it can and it will. I think we're going to look at this conversation we're having about these boxes, even just a few years down the road, and it's going to seem positively quaint. Um, again, when we look at the, the, the ever broader uh, ecosystem that, that these and other firms are playing in, that, that I'm not saying the, the, the boxes are necessarily going away, but as Mark said, there's so many people who are less reliant on them. It's, it's becoming a, a smaller and smaller part of their kind of uh, home electronics bills. Yeah. Uh, so, so they're not going to disappear, but, but the, the issue will become kind of a, uh, uh, you know, making a, a mountain out of a molehill. Gentlemen, great to have you on the show. Peter, it's always great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.